Welcome to the Vox Church Podcast. We're so excited that you're taking some time today to listen to today's message. If something from today's message specifically touches your heart, text Vox Church, all one word, to 97000, and one of our leaders would love to connect with you. Also, make sure you visit voxchurch.org for more information about our church and upcoming service locations and times. God bless you. Come on, is anybody excited to be at church on a Sunday? In August. If you're new to Vox, my name is Justin. I'm the lead pastor. Thank you for being here today. Vox is one church in nine different locations across Connecticut and Massachusetts right now. We are streaming live all the way down to uh, Greater Stanford, all the way up to Worcester, Massachusetts. Everybody in between, can we put our hands together? Brantford, good morning, church. We love you. You're looking good today in Middletown and in Hartford and North Haven. God bless you. Thank you for being a part of Vox Church right here in Brantford. Thanks for being here Today, it is such an exciting time. I love to see all that is happening across our church in the summer. And so just this weekend, I was texting people last night trying to get details, but just this weekend, yesterday in Springfield, our Springfield location, 3,000 people showed up for the back to school event, 600 backpacks were given away, 1,000 pairs of shoes were given away to kids in downtown Springfield. Isn't that awesome? That's Springfield. Hartford had a big backpack giveaway. Worcester had a big block party. So God bless you, Worcester and Hartford, Springfield, all that God's been doing. I'm telling you, it seems like every single week there's just something explosive happening across the church. And it's awesome. It's awesome. And so look at that person next to you and say, you know, you got to get involved. Come on, tell them. You got to get involved. What are you doing? With your life, you got to get involved. We've been in a teaching series called "Love Like Jesus," and uh, and it's going to wrap up next week. Next week is going to be the last last uh, week of "Love Like Jesus," but it has been a series that we've been in for a couple months now, and we felt like it was important just to stay here for a little while, just to hang out in this theme and talk about what does it look like for the church to be people who learn to love like Jesus. And it's a process. We talked about that last week. We're a people in process. We've been talking about the nations and the poor and the value of life and all forgiveness and family dynamics and all these different elements of what it means to love like Jesus. I want to focus today in the Gospel of Luke chapter 5. Luke chapter 5, if you're new to the Bible, Gospel of Luke, one of the four accounts of the life of Jesus. And uh, in Luke chapter 5, we get this story. It actually shows up in a couple of the other Gospels as well. But I like Luke's version the best. It said, after this, he, that's Jesus, went out and saw a tax collector named Levi sitting at the tax booth. And he said to him, follow me. And leaving everything, he rose and followed him. Verse 29. And Levi made him a great feast in his house. And there was a large company of tax collectors and others reclining at table with them. And the Pharisees and the scribes grumbled at his disciples saying, why do you eat? And drink with tax collectors and sinners. If you're like me, every time the Pharisees speak, I, I like I want to do like a, a voice. You know, why do you eat with drink? You know, with tax collectors. I'm not sure if that's how they talked, but and Jesus answered them, "Those who are well have no need of a physician, but those who are sick. I have not come to call the righteous, but sinners to repentance." Come on, somebody. Yeah, you know it's going to be a good Sunday when everybody claps when the Bible's read. That's always a good Sunday. I'm going to speak just for a few minutes under the heading, Come to the Table. Come to the Table. Let's pray. Let's open our hearts to God. God, I really do believe at every one of our locations right now 
anybody joining us online and every person that is right now the gathered church through all of our various locations. God, I believe you've got a word for us. So we just get out of the way and we open our hearts. Would you speak to us, God? Would you minister to us today? Would you open our eyes? God, we know it's only by the spirit of Jesus that we're able to see. And so I pray, enable us to see today in Christ's name. Everybody said, amen, amen. Amen. Last week we had... An incredible gathering at our Brantford location, 4 p.m., our celebration of cultures. And was anybody a part of that here? I know a number of us were. Yeah, it was just, wow, what a special time. And, uh, and it was just incredible. And I, I really did love so many elements that occurred. You know, we got to hear Jermaine rap. We got to hear all kinds of just amazing, uh, talented people. Worship's great. But, you know, the, the fellowship was amazing. But the food was incredible. The food was incredible. I actually wrote down a number of things that I was able to sample and that was there. We had Irish soda bread. We had Puerto Rican lasagna. We had Korean dumplings. We had Bolivian empanadas. We had Mexican street corn. We had like so many dishes. And you know what was really awesome is that when you, if you brought food, you didn't just bring a little. I mean, people brought like massive amounts of food and it all went. And it was just, it was amazing just to taste all the various flavors, all the various different expressions. And, and there really is something powerful about sharing a meal together. Food really does carry an unexpected power. It connects us. It's not something we think about a lot in our time, in our day. But uh, if you're eating three meals a day, that means you're going to eat 1,095 meals this year. 1,095 meals. Researchers tell us that you'll spend about 32,000 hours of your life eating or drinking. 32,000. That's pretty specific, pretty incredible. And, uh, you know, we're told in the Bible that Jesus came with a specific mission, right? In the, in the scriptures, it tells us that he came to seek and save the lost, all right? God came to reconcile the world to himself. He put on flesh and blood. He became a man so that we could have relationship with God. But how is he intending to fulfill that purpose? How did Jesus come to reconcile the world? What were the elements of his strategy? Well, what we see throughout the Bible is that one central element to the strategy of Jesus is specifically said in Luke 7.34 when it says this. It says, the Son of Man, that's one of the prophetic names that Jesus gives himself. The Son of Man has come, come on somebody, eating and drinking. Eating and drinking. There's something so powerful just about eating and drinking. And what we have to understand, and I believe that a light's going to come on today in the Spirit for you and for me, that we have to understand that this is actually a critical element of God's supernatural plan to change the world. That when he comes to change the world in the person of Jesus, he plans to do it through eating and drinking. Eating and drinking. Now this theme, when you start to see it, comes up all over the place in the life of Jesus. If you know his first miracle recorded in Gospel of John chapter 2 is that he's at a wedding and he turns water into wine, eating and drinking. In Luke chapter 7, he's again eating and drinking. He goes to Martha and Mary's house for eating and drinking. Then they've got 5,000 people in a field and he decides, you know what, let's make the bread and the loaves multiply. And he feeds them all. He goes to a meal with Zacchaeus. He tells parables about banquets and about bread and about food again and again and again. And then after Jesus has risen from the dead, the disciples see him while they're out on a boat and they come in from the see and the first thing he does is he says come have breakfast eating and drinking eating and drinking you know the early church understood that this was a central element to the strategy of Jesus to change the world and we're told in Acts chapter 2 the practice of the early church look at it with me it says every day every day 
they continued to meet together in the temple courts. What did they do every day? They broke bread in their homes and they ate together. They didn't have degrees in theology. They didn't have millions of dollars in the bank. They didn't have, you know, massive buildings or strategic plans. What was their plan? They said, well, why don't we just get together and eat? Really? Yeah, that's it. I think God wants to show you something today. You know, for centuries, historians have been asking the question, how did Christianity spread so fast? Because if you look at history, it really is an enigma. It is an indescribable, inexplicable phenomena that a few hundred believers in Jesus in the AD 30s exploded to become over 56% of the Roman Empire by AD 350. I mean, Christianity took Rome by storm, and they didn't have education, they didn't have money, they didn't have all types of access, they didn't have political power. What did they have? How is it? That Christianity spread so fast. They spread because Rome could not stop the conversations around the table. Around the table, people were just talking. You know, there's such a power. Come on, somebody. They're starting to see it. There's such a power in a shared meal. Researchers tell us, by the way, for somebody in the room today, this may be the root of your issue and you don't even know it. Researchers tell us that eating meals with other people improves your mood, lowers your feelings of isolation, strengthens your self-image. Families who eat together, kids who have a regular family dinner, they report better academic performance, lower risk of substance abuse, lower rates of depression, better cardiovascular health, better levels of resilience on almost every measurable metric. Kids that eat with their families do better. But the strategy of Jesus was not just about food. It was through the meal that Jesus was displaying for us the spiritual discipline of hospitality. Hospitality. This is so important. Hospitality. What is, what is hospitality? I pulled a few definitions. Henry Nouwen said it like this. Hospitality is the creation of a free space where the stranger can enter and become a friend. Instead of an enemy. I like that. The creation of a free space. That's what hospitality is. I love how uh, Rosarie Butterfield said it. She said, hospitality is using your Christian home in a daily way. Check this out. That seeks to make strangers neighbors and neighbors family. That's what hospitality is. Hospitality is the process of turning a stranger into a brother or a sister. Turning a stranger into a brother or a sister. And for some reason, it seems like hospitality has sort of slid down the list of Christian virtues in our time. We don't really think about hospitality even as a virtue. We think of some people who are really nice and we go, oh, they're so hospitable. But then the rest of us, we don't even think about it. If I asked you to list like the 10 key Christian virtues, what would you list? Most of us would say, well, you know, Christians are supposed to be holy and humble, supposed to be self-controlled, honest, compassionate, just, pure, kind. That's fine. What about hospitable? Would that even be on your list? Because the early church leaders, they understood that spiritual maturity was linked to hospitality. That you can't say you understand and follow Christ if you're not living a hospitable life. That when Jesus Christ came to the earth, it was the ultimate act of hospitality. And that hospitality changes us. One theologian said it like this. The church, I love this, is the only fellowship in the world where the one requirement for membership is the unworthiness of the candidate. Don't you love that? Turn to the person next to you and say, that's good news for you. Come on, tell them. That's good news for you. It is. It is. And you know, it's interesting when you start to notice it, hospitality constantly shows up 
in the, the lists of uh, requirements for the spiritually mature. Leaders in the church were required to be hospitable. Look how Paul tells Timothy in 1 Timothy 3. He says, now here's a trustworthy saying. Look at this. Whoever aspires to be an overseer desires a noble task. He's talking about the, about the church. He's saying, listen, if you want to be a leader, a pastor in the church, it's a, it's a noble task. Now, an overseer is above reproach, faithful to his wife, temperate, self-controlled, respectable. Yeah, we're good with all that. What about this one? Hospitable. Able to teach. It's right there in the list. Hospitable. In other words, if you don't know how to turn a stranger into a brother, if you don't know how to invite people into your home, if you don't know how to be welcoming, how to be generous with your time and with your uh, space, if you don't know how to do that, then you have no business being a leader. Romans chapter 12. Love must be sincere. Hate what is evil. Cling to what is good. Be devoted to one another in love. Honor one another above yourselves. Never be lacking in zeal. Keep your spiritual fervor serving the Lord. Be joyful in hope. Patient Patient affliction, faithful in prayer, all good. Share the, with the Lord's people all who are in need. Then there it is again. Boom, it's the same list. Practice hospitality gets in the list again. According to Paul, you cannot be a leader. You cannot consider yourself mature in Jesus until you have cultivated a lifestyle of hospitality. Now, I don't know about you, but that is profoundly convicting to me. That is convicting to me because, you know, when we think of leadership, we say, does the person serve? Do they have certain skills? What's their education? Are they generous? But when do we ask, you know, a person, a pastor? This would be a good litmus test, right? Hey, uh, when's the last time you had a stranger in your home? Hey, when's the last time you really saw a stranger become a neighbor and a neighbor become a friend, a friend become a brother or sister? I think for a lot of us, even as I was studying this this week, the Holy Spirit was just really stirring my heart. I think for a lot of us, um, the table's empty. The table's empty. And I wonder why. And I want to take a couple of minutes just to think about your table. And I just wonder if you practice the spiritual habit of hospitality. Or is it possible you're too busy? You know, studies tell us that 30% of families really never eat dinner together on a regular basis. 30% of families. So if you're never eating dinner together on a regular basis, it's going to be hard to invite someone else to dinner, Right? And when we eat dinner, if we're honest, a lot of times the TV is on, our phones are in our hands, it's a, it's a distracted time. And we think about food oftentimes now just as fuel, like, hey, fill up the car with gas, fill up the body with fuel, get moving. We're eating in the car, we're eating on the move, we're eating on the run, and we're not leveraging the opportunity to turn strangers into brothers. And the result, let's just be honest, is that many of our brothers are strangers because we've never really cultivated the time and the space to be hospitable. So sometimes it's that we're too busy. I wonder what it is for you. But I think if we're honest, for many of us, we're not hospitable because it's a little uncomfortable, right? It's a little uncomfortable. Years ago, I came across the book Bowling Alone by Harvard professor Robert Putnam, and he chronicles the collapse of American community over the last hundred years in our world, in our time. And what he concludes is that, you know, that the majority of Americans are lonely, the majority of Americans are isolated, and one of the main reasons is that social capital has dramatically eroded. We don't trust each other anymore. We don't engage one another anymore. We don't talk to each other anymore. And so when you meet someone new, when you see someone new, I mean, just think about it. The other day, the other day, there was a guy walking down my driveway, and he was walking there because uh, a friend had left something, and he was dropping it off, but I didn't know him. And right away, like, there was, like, alarm, like, who's this person walking down the, like, maybe they're a criminal, maybe they're here to kill everyone. It's like, why do we think that right away? 
Not everyone is a stalker. Not everyone is a criminal. Now, it's true that some are, and that's tragic, and that's terrible. But something's happened in our brains where we're more comfortable being alone, more comfortable being away from strangers, and more comfortable retreating to our TVs than we are connecting with new people. So rather than stretch, we avoid, right? And eventually, after avoiding for so long, we even start to forget that other people exist. And I know that this sounds ridiculous. I know that it sounds foolish. And yet here we are. Because in our pursuit of comfort, we've strangled and suffocated the very mission of Jesus to seek and save the lost. The Son of Man came eating and drinking. Maybe we've lost his great gift of hospitality. You know, all through the Bible, Jesus makes people uncomfortable. Tell that person next to you, he's going to make you uncomfortable. He's going to make you uncomfortable. That's part of following Jesus. If you're not willing to be made uncomfortable, then you're not willing to follow Jesus. That's the bottom line. And so church should make you uncomfortable. Yeah. It should stretch us. It should make us be like, I don't know about this hospitality stuff, preacher, but I'm going to take a little step. You know, like it should be pressing us. It should be pushing us. And I'd imagine... Now, when Jesus started talking to Levi, even his disciples were a little uncomfortable because Levi was a tax collector. You know much about that time, about that era. Tax collectors were the most untrusted people in society, right? Because they were working for Rome, but they were Jewish by birth. And so they were making money off the exploitation of taxes across the region. And so nobody trusted a tax collector. People saw tax collectors as traitors, as liars, as sinners. And so for a religious leader to eat with a tax collector, that was unthinkable. You never sit down with a tax collector. You never engage them that way and so we're told right away that when Jesus starts talking to Levi he comes over his house immediately the religious leaders are grumbling grumbling that word grumbled it could be translated murmured I like uh, one direct translation is it's a secret debate they were having a secret debate amongst themselves going what is he doing why is he doing this they were inwardly judging him this type of grumbling is the fastest way to kill a spirit of hospitality In fact, Peter connects grumbling and hospitality in a negative relationship in 1 Peter 4. Look at it. He says, above all, love each other deeply because love covers a multitude of sins. That's so important. Offer hospitality. There's that command again, right? Offer hospitality to one another without, same word, grumbling. Without grumbling. So he's saying, listen, if if there's one thing that's going to kill hospitality in a community, in a church, in a people, it's this propensity to grumble. As soon as you are stretched to immediately be hospitable to somebody, the first thing that you're going to feel in your flesh is a grumbling. A grumbling, like, "Mm, you're messing up my schedule, right? Are you kidding me? Man, you smell a little weird, you know? Mm. You know, they're coming over our house. They stay too long, you know? They're going to eat all my chips, you know? I just bought those chips, you know? I just had the house clean. They're going to get dirty every, you know, it's going to be, oh, it's nasty. Are you kidding me? Oh, they're bringing their kids. Oh, my gosh, right? Grumbling, grumbling. Yeah, it's like, oh, boy, does that sound like us, right? And the problem is the more we avoid hospitality, you know what I found? The more insecure we become. And so this game starts playing out in our heads. And you start thinking, oh, my house is too small. Or you maybe start thinking, oh, my house is too big. 
Or you start thinking, oh, my house is too clean. Oh, my house is too dirty. We come up with all these different things. Oh, my kids are too loud. My dog's going to bark too much. You know, and we just decide everything needs to look perfect if their people are going to come over. Are you kidding? That's not biblical hospitality. Everything doesn't need to look perfect. And so we decide it's easier just to not have people over. It's easier just to not engage in hospitality. And what I want to suggest to you today is that right now, right now in your life, there are actually two tables living at the same time. Two tables going on. You've got the table in your house. All right. But then you also have the table in your heart, the table in your heart. And the problem for many Christians is that you have the wrong company sitting at the table of your heart. See, the son of man, Jesus Christ, he came eating and drinking. It was his strategy to turn strangers into brothers through hospitality. But there's an enemy that is keenly aware of this strategy. And the devil would seek to pull a chair up to your table and speak to you lies, feed you lies so that you could stay isolated and not open up your life. It's happening right now and you don't even see it. It's happening right now and you don't even see it. So he's feeding you little things, little fears, little fears. Wow, you know, people don't want to come to your house. If you sign up to be a community group host, nobody's going to come. It's going to be lame. And then you're going to know that you're lame, you know? Oh, no. Or then you start comparison. There's another little lie, a little comparison, you know? You don't fit with these people. Look what they do for work. Look at the car that they drive. You can't fit with them. Start comparing, right? And then busyness gets in there, little lies. Oh, you're too busy for this. Think of the kids' sports. Think of your career. Think of all the other things you have to do. You don't have time for this. And then a little side dish of insecurity, right? You don't even know the Bible that well. If somebody came over and asked you a question, you'd look like an idiot. You'd have to Google it. You wouldn't know what to say. Don't do it. And so these things start playing out in our minds. The devil feeds us a four-course meal, and strangers stay strangers. The gospel doesn't spread. Your families and your, your neighbors are on their way to hell. They don't know the life, the peace, the joy, and the hope that comes through God, and your table is still empty. And so we're living in a time right now. How did we get here? Where I think maybe COVID pushed us even that much further, where we just got used to isolation. We got used to not inviting. We got used to not engaging. We got used to not communicating. And now we're all awkward, and something's got to change. And I am believing by faith in Jesus' name. Let me prophesy, Vox Church, today's the day that something falls off of you and something is born in you, that something changes inside of us, that we shift out of our little cocoon thinking, that we shift out of the only me mentality and we start to realize God has called me to be hospitable to a broken world and not everyone's a creeper, not everyone's crazy, not everyone's a stranger. And if they are, maybe they just need a meal and God could change their life and heal their heart restore their soul and use me to work a miracle it's not that hard what if it didn't have to be this way what if we didn't have to be isolated what if we stepped into a new direction right now I just feel the spirit of God on that what if we just stepped into a new direction right now somebody in your heart in your mind in your thoughts even now you're saying you know what he's right I've been doing this too long I've been staying isolated too long I've been playing this game too long I've got to stretch out because Hospitality is not a peripheral theme in the Bible. You need to understand hospitality is, check this out, the central theme in the Bible. It is the central theme. In fact, the entire scripture from Genesis to Revelation can be understand, understood excuse me, over the theme of hospitality. Hospitality is the umbrella that enables us to understand it all. See, in the beginning of the book, there's a story about this man named Adam, this woman named Eve, who are home with the Lord. 
They are at home. And yet sin severs the relationship between humanity and God. And because that relationship is severed, we are then excommunicated from our home. It separates us from God. And so there's this restlessness. And we all know that we're strangers with God, that we're disconnected. And so Jesus Christ came to silence the enemy at the table of your heart and begin to feed you from another menu. And so he stepped into flesh and blood so that he could be our neighbor. He perfectly revealed the nature of God by opening his life to the tax collector and to the sinner. And then he showed us all of his glory and beauty and majesty through meekness and service and humility. He lived as your perfect representative and then died as a substitutionary sacrifice on the cross. And Jesus cried out as he hung there, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? And God the Father did not answer. There was only darkness because God treated his son as a stranger so that in a sacred exchange, your sin could end up on him and his righteousness could end up on you. And by grace alone, God could forever treat you as his son. This is the power of hospitality that today God's arms are open that he says, now's the day of salvation. Now's the day of restoration. Now's the day of healing. Everything you've ever needed is ultimately found in him. And because Christ was rejected, you are accepted. Because Christ was punished, you are released. Because God closed the door on Jesus, his one and only son. He now opens the door eternally for you and me. See, the message of the gospel is eternal hospitality. That's the message. God has turned strangers into family. Maybe the prophet David caught a glimpse of this in Psalm 23. The Lord is my shepherd. I shall not want. He prepares a table for me. In the presence of my enemies, the devil might be lying and whispering and speaking. But even as he's trying to blabber on, God sets up this table of acceptance and grace and, and mercy. And, and, and I receive that acceptance and my cup runs over. And so as you sit down at the table with Jesus in your heart, this new diet of grace can change us. It can change our fears and our insecurities and our selfishness, and it can teach us to open up our lives to God. The Son of Man came eating and drinking. Eating and drinking, that was the plan. That was the plan. See, Jesus saw hospitality as a weapon against Satan. I don't know if we see it that way. Jesus saw hospitality as a weapon against loneliness and selfishness and isolation. Jesus saw hospitality as a way to heal a broken world, express the heart of God. We have to rediscover the weapon. We have to rediscover this weapon. And I believe that even right now that God is initiating, inaugurating a spiritual renewal of hospitality among us. That he's teaching us to be hospitable in ways that culturally seem Awkward. You know, the Bible is full of instances where God uses unexpected things for supernatural purpose, right? He is constantly choosing the strangest weapon, you know? I mean, you think about the deliverance of the people of God from Egypt. And if you know the story, it's like, it's like I'm going to deliver you from the most powerful nation on earth, the Egyptians, and you're going to be free, and you're going to be, the slavery is going to be broken. Like, Lord, how are you going to do it? He's like, you know, I think I'll send frogs. It's like, really? Yeah, I think that's what we're going to do. I think I'm going to send gnats. Like, that's the plan? 
When he called Gideon out, he said, I'm going to deliver you from the Midianites. I'm going to set you free. And Gideon was like, great, what's the plan? He's like, just take 350 guys, just a few guys. And then, and then I want you to have a clay pot and a torch. That's what you need. It's like, this is the plan to save the nation? Are you sure? How about a sword? No, 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 no. Just a pot and a torch, right? That's it. That's all you need. In the same way, God has birthed this wild supernatural experiment called the church. And you and I are a part of it. And we gather in all different nations. Come on, sing it out to the Lord. He, we gather now in all different locations, all different areas. And we say, hey, what's your plan, Lord? What's your plan to heal the world? What's your plan to transform people? What's your plan to open hearts to the gospel? Is it the preaching of the word? Is it the establishment of buildings? Is it the, and he uses all these different things, but he's saying, hey, hey, there's an element of my plan you've missed. I've given you a weapon that you are not using. What's the weapon? Can you see that on the camera? This is the weapon? Yeah. That's it. Don't you have one of these in your house already? It's a weapon. So we got to learn from the model of Jesus in Luke 5. I love how it starts with, and he saw Levi. That'll preach. He saw Levi. He noticed him. There were a lot of people there in a marketplace, probably many, many people buzzing in and out, and yet he saw Levi. He didn't just see a tax collector. He saw Levi. See that? He saw him. He saw his fears, his hurts, his loneliness, his emptiness. He saw him. He noticed him. He noticed him. In the same way, God must teach us to notice our neighbors and notice our friends. You know, when you're ordering a drink at Starbucks, that's a human talking to you through that little machine, right? It is, it is, and we forget. It's just like, I'm so, I'm so angry that the, that the burger had pickles that I forget it's a human, you know? And so it's like, that's not at Starbucks. They don't serve burgers. I switched analogies. But, but you know, like, you know, like it's, it, it, we forget that it's like, wait a minute, these are people. He saw people. He's all, oh, my prayer today is that a spirit of wisdom and revelation would come upon our church, that we would begin to see people, that we would just start to notice, start to notice the people that are all around me, the people that live next door, the people that are walking by, the people that are engaging with me, and I'm not engaging with them. He saw them. He saw Levi, and then, it, and then he invited him. He just invited him. He said, hey, follow me. He invited him. You know, and I think, I think we underestimate the power of an invitation. You know, I mean, Levi could have just been like, no. But he didn't. He came. And, you know, it's surprising how many people will come if you invite them. It's amazing how many people will come over to your house for dinner. It's amazing how many people will come to church if you just invite them. And some of us are like, well, I don't ever bring anybody to church. Well, that's because you never invite anybody. You don't invite anybody. Imagine what God could do if you just invited them. You don't need to give them the 17 spiritual truths of life. You just say, hey, I go to church. You want to go? Really? Yeah, I'll meet you. You want to come? Maybe I do. Maybe I do. At every one of our locations, we decided to give you a little prompt this week. And uh, on September 18th, we start a really important series. We'll talk more about it over the next few weeks called The Sacred Us. We're going to learn the foundational principles of biblical community. I don't think there's ever been a more pertinent time for this series to hit our church. And so September 18th, we're going to be spending some time on that and, uh, and, and nine weeks just talking about biblical community. But we gave you a few things in your welcome pack. You can get one as you leave if you didn't grab a welcome pack. But it, this is just an invite. It says you're invited. And then it has a little QR code in every location, every time every place that you can go. And so it's just like, hey, I gave this to you. You know, you don't even have to say anything. Just, 
you know, just hand it to a friend, you know, and it's just like, but then this is even more powerful. This is just a card that, that you and I can keep and we can begin to pray for people in our lives who are far from God. Your family member, your coworker, your friend, I encourage you, take this home, write down five names of five people that you know who are far from God and begin to pray every day. Begin to pray, oh God, would you give them a spiritual hunger? Would you give them a desire for you? Friend, I am telling you, if we do this, just simply pray, God will work miracles, hearts will open, people will come to faith, lives will be changed, and strangers will become brothers. This is how it happens. And so I just urge you, yeah, you can leave it in the car and forget all about it, or you could take it home and glue it to your mirror or stick it somewhere you're going to see it on your dashboard and just begin to pray every day. Lord, I just pray for this person. I pray that God would open their heart, that God would open their eyes, that God would speak to them. And so Jesus noticed him. Then he invited him. Then he invested. He just made time to hang out together. Conversation. And over the conversation, something happened. Because you know, or maybe you don't, Levi goes by another name. He goes by the name Matthew. And Matthew became one of the 12 apostles of Jesus Christ. Matthew became one of the pillars of the church. He wrote the gospel of Matthew. And God used him in a supernatural way to change the world. But it all started with a little interaction around a tax booth where Jesus noticed him, invited him, and invested some time in him. And the religious leaders, they don't get it. And so Jesus has to clarify for them. Look at verse 31. He says, Jesus answered them, this is so important, those who are well have no need of a physician, but those who are sick, I've not come to call the righteous, but sinners to repentance. There's a little tongue-in-cheek in Jesus' words here, because um, he wants you to grasp the fact that uh, you're sick. Everybody's sick. Everybody's sick. I didn't come for the righteous. Well, who's that? No one, right? No one. None are righteous. That's what the Bible teaches. Not even one. And these people were missing the truth of their unrighteousness. Because of their pride. But I'm interested in how Jesus connects hospitality, right, to the visit from a doctor. He says, you know, the doctor comes for the sick. And that word hospitality and hospital, they're connected, right? It means to host or to welcome. I think what God wants you to grasp today is that the dinner table is God's hospital. The dinner table is where he performs surgery. The dinner table is where... He brings healing. He's the surgeon. So that's good news because that means you don't have to be the surgeon. You don't have to be a theologian. You don't have to be a therapist. All you got to do is create the space and God will work. God will begin to work in supernatural ways. And so he says, I've called sinners to repentance. That word repentance is so important. It's not a dirty spiritual word. It's not an evil word. It's not a judgmental word. Repentance simply means to change your mind to turn in a new direction. And that's what Jesus is all about, reversing course for broken people. And I'm thankful for sermons. I believe in sermons. I preach one regularly. But, but it's been too long that the sermon's the only weapon the church has. And it's just like, well, thank God for the sermons, but I think we need another weapon. I think we need something else. And I think that right now, maybe more than ever, our world doesn't really need another sermon. I think our... I think our world just needs dinner. I think our world just needs a barbecue. I think our world just needs to be noticed and invited and invested in. I think something supernatural could happen if we took this sermon and we did it. If we took this sermon and we acted upon it. This is the secret of hospitality that God can change the world 
by gathering a few around a table. What if we did this? What if we did this? Oh, I want to pray. I want to pray that God would stir our hearts today, that we would not leave the same. That something inside of us would change and that a spirit of hospitality, a revelation of hospitality would come upon us. That we'd begin to grow. September 18th, we'll start this series, The Sacred Us. And so much of that is about being around the table together. And so we're encouraging everybody at every one of our locations to get involved in a community group. All right. Number one, if you're a community group leader, what's a community group? It's a group that meets in somebody's home. Okay, that's it. Not that, not that hard to understand. And a community group, you know, uh, if you're a leader already, we got all the information over the next number of weeks that we'll give you on the Sacred Us. We've got all types of materials we've been preparing for the last year and a half. I'm not even kidding. The last year and a half we've been preparing for this time. Very, very excited about it. So if you're a community group leader, make sure you go by the lobby. But if you're not in a community group, you can sign up for one today. And sometimes we think to ourselves, oh, well, what if I don't like the people? And, and what if I don't fit? And what if they're not all exactly like me? I'm just going to tell you, you're not going to like all the people. You're not going to perfectly fit. And they're not all going to be exactly like you, okay? And that's part of growing. That's part of growing. So I just encourage you to join a community group. But there's a number of us here. And I just want to encourage you in this, that we want to invite you, compel you, and challenge you to host a community group at your house, all right? Now, that's going to take a little bit of doing. We'll give you all the materials we're going to help you with all the prompts. You don't have to prepare anything. We've prepared it all for you. But you do have to open your home, and you do have to invite people to come. you got to invite your neighbor. you got to invite your coworker. you got to invite your mom or your uncle or your dad or your friend. you got to say, hey, every Tuesday night for the next nine weeks, we're going to get together and we're going to talk about community. Would you be willing to come? Would you be willing to check it out? Would you be open to just trying? Just invite them. We have a goal here at Vox that over the next number of weeks, we want to sign up 57 new groups that are hosted in new places, 57 all across our locations, okay? And so maybe you can be one of those 57. Maybe you can be a host that maybe you've never had people in your house. Maybe you thought it was too small or too big or too dirty or too clean, whatever excuse you've been holding on to. And God's just pushing you to get past that. You can sign up today to be a host. And I want to urge you to consider doing that. Consider doing that. You know, Levi was a tax collector. So he reached tax collectors. Maybe you're a teacher and you could reach teachers. Or a policeman, you could reach other police officers. Maybe you're a salesman or a nurse and you can reach a nurse or a salesman. But God's placed you where you are for a reason. And this is your moment. It's to stretch beyond yourself. To step into the grace of hospitality. Compelled by the Spirit of God. Because Jesus has been so hospitable to us. At every one of our locations, I want to invite you to stand to your feet. We're going to take a moment today. Servant team, you can begin to prepare. We're going to participate in a sacred act that Christians have engaged in for 2,000 years. And at Vox Church, we do this at least once a month. And it's our time to remember what Christ has done for us through the practice of communion. Communion is where we eat a little piece of bread and drink a little bit of juice, but we do it as a spiritual act, as a sacred act in remembrance of Jesus. Now, you don't have to participate in this, okay? You can let it pass. If you're just here checking things out, you don't want to participate, that's fine. You can let it pass. But if you're a Christian, if you're a follower of Christ, in all of our imperfections, we do encourage you to participate. But, but I want to just speak to two different types of people. Don't open it yet. It's a little complicated. I'll, I'll walk you through it if you've never done it before. But the servant team is going to begin to pass these out. 
at every one of our locations. And if you desire to participate with us, you can. But I want to just speak to two types of people here. Person number one, the first type of person here, is that if you are honest and if you considered and reflected on your spiritual habits, you would say truthfully that you have neglected the discipline of hospitality. And if that's you, I'm just talking right to you for a moment. Because I believe that the Holy Spirit wants to awaken us as a church. I believe that the Holy Spirit wants to stir us. And in just a minute, we're going to partake of this bread and of this juice. And I am believing God for a supernatural transfer from heaven for today. That God changes you and me. That as we eat this bread and drink this juice, we remind ourselves that there's a God who noticed me. That he saw me in the marketplace just like he saw Levi. But he didn't just notice me. He invited me. And he didn't just invite me. He invested in me. And he's been faithful. All these years. All these months. He has in fact become my food and my drink. He is forgiveness. He is hope. He is eternal life. And as I trust his grace, he becomes all I've ever needed. This is truth. If you're here today and you have neglected the spiritual habit of hospitality, I want to urge you right now to take this opportunity for repentance. All across our location, you just take a moment. Once you have your, don't open it yet. We'll do it together. Just bow your head, close your eyes. And if that's you, just do business with God right now. Just say, oh God, I have wandered. I can't remember the last time I had a stranger in my home. I can't remember the last time I was overtly hospitable and saw a stranger became a brother. Oh God, forgive me that I have embraced the attitude of the age to isolate, to only think about me and mine. God, would you give me a new strength from the Spirit of God to change today? Come on, just ask Him. Lord, I just change my mind today that I do not want to be closed off anymore. I want to practice hospitality. Make that real between you and the Lord right now. Just take a moment in the quietness of your own heart, with your head bowed, with your eyes closed, to engage the Spirit of God right now in repentance. Lord, forgive me that after all the hospitality you've shown me, I haven't turned around and shown it to others. Sorry, Lord. Stir my heart. Stir my heart. That's the first person. Just take this moment do business with God. But the second person is that you're here today and you're far from God. You're not right with God. You're not at peace with God. And every week at Vox, we seek to give that person an opportunity to come to faith in Christ. Because it is the most important decision you will ever make. You need to understand that there is, in fact, a God who loves you and knows you. And he has revealed himself in the most unexpected way. He put on flesh and blood. He lived the perfect life and died on the cross. So that through the sacrifice of Jesus Christ, he could forgive your sin and heal your heart. See, when we pursue our own ambitions, we think it will be freedom, but it ends up being slavery. 
And so maybe you're here and you're addicted to that job and it's never enough. Addicted to that pleasure and it's never enough. Addicted to that substance and it's never enough. You'll find that without God, everything you pursue will ultimately enslave you. But with God, slavery to him brings freedom in life. And so if you're here today and you haven't found peace with God, I want to urge you to surrender right now. Right now. Surrender right now. This is your moment. The Bible teaches us so simply, if you confess with your mouth that Jesus Christ is your King, your Lord, believe in your heart, God raised him from the dead. Your sins are washed away. And the Spirit of God will give you peace and eternal life. If you're here right now and you're far from God, this is your moment to turn to him. I want to lead you in a simple prayer of surrender. Come, Holy Spirit. Come, Holy Spirit. Come, Holy Spirit. If that's you, whisper this to God. Jesus, save me. I repent. Turn my life to you. Forgive my sin. Come into my life. Make me a new creation. I put my hope in you. And I receive your Holy Spirit. Amen. If you just prayed that prayer, I just want to pray that the Holy Spirit would come upon you. Lord, come even now. Every person at every location in Hartford and North Haven and Middletown, in Greater Bridgeport, right here, in Brantford, Holy Spirit of God, would you come upon every single person who's been far from you? Would you fill them with an assurance that you've heard their prayer and forgiven their sin? Even now, give them peace. Even now, give them peace, oh God, we pray. Thank you, Lord, for receiving us. Thank you, Lord. I want to invite you to participate with me in communion, you can peel back. We're going to do it together one at a time. Peel back the layer. See if you can get that little wafer. Just hold it for a moment. There's two layers. There's the thin, clear layer and then the purple layer. It's not that easy. It's a little wafer. You know, it just represents so much. It represents that the body of Jesus suffered, was broken for the forgiveness of my sins. That somehow in the sovereignty of God, he saw my life from beginning to end on that cross. And he said, he's worth it. She's worth it. The love of God perfectly displayed in the face of Christ. And as you eat this, you're doing more than just eating a wafer. You're receiving that love for yourself. Sometimes it's really hard to receive love. Sometimes we're a lot better at giving love than we are at receiving it. But the truth is, until you really receive the love of God, you can't become a conduit of the love of God. Let God love you, not as you deserve. Let God love you as he loves you, perfectly, completely. Absolutely. As you eat this way for today, it's you believing that the love of God is real for you. 
Let's pray. God in heaven, we do this in remembrance of you all across all of our locations right now. And we just acknowledge that we're not worthy of your grace and kindness, and yet you've extended it. Thank you. We take this in remembrance of you. And even as we take it today, we receive a grace to be hospitable to others. We know that Jesus Christ came eating and drinking, that this was your secret weapon to reconcile the world to God. And as we digest the goodness of God, I pray that you would enable us to invite others to come to the table. We honor you today as we eat. In Jesus' name, go ahead and eat the bread. You can open your cup. What a mystery that the blood of Jesus washes away our sin. Do you pray with me? God, we believe today we put our hope in the blood of Jesus Christ shed on the cross to wash away every sin. And so I pray for every person here today who might have a guilty conscience, every person here today who's carrying shame, in the name of Jesus Christ, I break off the power of shame and guilt. In the name of Jesus Christ, I decree over your life, you are free from shame. All the shame of your past, every foolish decision, every moment of regret, Jesus Christ forgives you. Lord, even now we receive the grace of God. We receive it afresh to wash away our sin. We believe that the blood of Christ is that strong. We've come to you before, but we come again. And we do this in remembrance of you. Go ahead and drink. We're going to pray and sing. Come on, church. Let's sing. Lord Jesus, we love you and honor you. As we set our eyes upon you today, I pray that the Spirit of God would do a work in our hearts. I pray for a spirit of awakening in your house today. I pray that you would stir our hearts to hospitality, that you would encourage us, inspire us, challenge us, impress us to be people who are outward focused, people who pray for those who are far from you, people who engage the stranger. Lord, I pray in the name of Jesus for a revival of hospitality in your church. We worship you in Jesus' name. Come on, let's sing. Thank you for listening today to this Vox Church sermon. If something from today's message spoke to you and you've just made the decision to follow Jesus, text Vox Church, all one word, to 97,000, and one of our leaders will help you as you begin your journey with Christ. God bless you.